Well, good morning. If you need to find a shadier spot, now would be a good time. I think just about everybody. Uh, I'm so glad to be here with you guys. But I got to see the last couple of weeks with Eric and Neil. And so it's good stuff. Uh, We're actually starting... Uh, today, just the first of four parts, talking about uh, attitude and how that's something we can control. You know, there's a lot of things we can't control, things that are outside of our uh, ability to have an influence over. There are things that go on around us that we have to just kind of deal with, but there is something we can control. And that is our attitude. Uh, Attitude is like a perspective. How you look at things matters. In one person's perspective of an event, they'll see it and they'll understand it as oppression or opposition. And then another one enduring the exact same event can look at that and see it as an opportunity for learning, for growth, or for worship. You see, what's the difference? Same event, two different people looking at that event, the difference is their perspective or their attitude, right? The way they choose to look at it. And and let me just get it out there right now. What will affect your attitude, your perspective, isn't just the choice Because I will be honest, my attitude changes dramatically based on how much sleep I've had the night before, and if I've had a cup of coffee, or if I've had a good breakfast. So those are still things that I can control at least somewhat. So let's get that out of the way, and then what things can we control from there? So there is kind of this influence in our culture It's this idea of of karma, that if you do good, then then good things are going to come to you. Or that if you speak good things to the universe, then it will come to you. That you can maybe manifest what you want in this life if you want it enough. And, And this is kind of this new age idea, this law of attraction And by the way, it's just, there is nothing biblical in that. There is no reality in that. Uh, But I hear people say that kind of thing a lot, right? This idea that if you just want good things, then good things are going to come. And and the kind of the silliestness of that is that there are plenty of people wanting good things in their life and yet horrible things still happen. Right? There are tragedies that go on in the world, and it's not their fault that tragedy is going on. And yet within that context of that difficulty and challenge, how can they, they use that? Ultimately, what we would say is for God's glory. So the part of it we can control, right? Our attitude, our perspective. I was doing some research in preparation for today, 
And I found a lot of articles about it. Uh, things like uh, the effects of a positive attitude on happiness and wage, as in earnings, right? That there's evidence from the data. Uh, Harvard School of Public Health, there they, they said that positive attitude about aging could improve your health. So if you kind of are looking forward to aging, you might very well have better health, or at least some of the data seems to support that. Uh, from Columbia University, a positive attitude can benefit patients with a chronic disease, right? So if you're dealing with a chronic disease, if you, if you have a good attitude about it, you tend to be healthier, even in the midst of that. Or the role of spirituality in re religious, that's a hard word to say, uh, religiosity, that still didn't say it right. In subjective well-being of individuals with different religious status. So the idea is that, that when you're a person of faith, it tends to benefit your well-being. And then, of course, some of you might appreciate this one. A positive attitude toward math supports early academic su success. So that means you got to think you're a good math student. You know, I start every class like this. Come on, guys, we can do this. Yet, some people think, because they tell me, I'm just not good at it. You know, that's my job, to make sure they can get better. And there are several places in Scripture that talk about our attitude. Philippians 2.5, make your attitude that of Jesus Christ. Right, that your attitude should be the same as Jesus's attitude. So what attitude? What, what does that mean? Well, the, the Greek word here that's being used, it's the same as in Philippians 3.15, where it says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Right, that's the attitude. And if anything, uh, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you there. Uh, it's this idea that, that you can choose to think a certain way. It doesn't mean uh, that, that you have to think exactly the same. It more means that the direction of your thought is the same. And when several persons think the same way, it means that they're of the same mind. I like that phrase. Because it means I could be of the same mind as Jesus about a certain situation. Right, and that that they agree together, they cherish the same views. They're they're harmonious. We're supposed to be harmonious in thought with Jesus. First Peter three eight, uh, Peter says it this way: Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. These things seem to go together. That if you're going to be of the same mind with other brothers and sisters in Christ, you're going to be of the same mind as Jesus. Then you're going to have unity, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So we're to be unified in mind with each other and with Christ. So what keeps us from being of the same mind as Jesus? Of the same mind as our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And I put in bold prints in my notes. What keeps us from being of the same mind, the same attitude as Christ is pride. Right? It's this idea that, that the way I'm thinking might be better than the way God wants me to think. Better than the way Jesus would think in the circumstances. Better than the way my brothers and sisters in Christ are thinking about this. When pride gets in the way, we think we know better. Yet, we're, we're told our attitude should be the same as Jesus. So the passage we're going to look at, and I read the first verse of it, but I'm going to read it again. It's the, the passage we're going to look at over the next few weeks in Philippians 2. And I'll start in verse 5 again. Make your attitude that of Christ Jesus. So notice that there's this, this idea that your attitude is something you can influence. It's not something that happens to you. It's a choice. So you make your attitude that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. The first attitude that Paul says, look, if we're going to have the same attitude, if we're going to choose to be like Christ, that attitude should be one of humility. The Oxford Dictionary defines humility as a modest or low view of one's own importance or humbleness. It's not, not bad. I actually like the uh, Merriam-Webster definition a little better because it says humility is Freedom from pride or arrogance. Let's keep it simple. That's why Paul wrote that they, having the existence in the form of God, Jesus, who had every right to go, okay, I am God, instead demonstrated humbleness for us. That we then, in turn, would be of the same mind, the same attitude. We would act the same way. If we are to be of the same mind as Jesus, we need to be humble. Yet I think we mix up humility. Humility is not a lack of self-confidence. In, in fact, it's kind of more like a, an honest self-assessment. Right? It, it's, it's not, look at how great I am. It's, you know, there's some things I can do because of what God has done for me. And I'm going to use that then for his glory. I was thinking about that kind of the, the picture of the opposite of humility. Uh, I grew up playing basketball in high school and college. If I wasn't in class or at work, I was playing basketball. 
And, you know, if you walk into a park, onto a basketball court, and you look like me, then a lot of people just kind of dismiss you. And so the reaction that I would often get from people, they, they tended to be exactly the opposite of that humble attitude that Jesus had. They would talk trash. That's kind of the thing that people do on a basketball court, apparently. And, and I would get a lot of it. And there was this idea that, that if you weren't talking trash, right? If you weren't telling them, here's what I'm going to do then maybe you weren't that good. Yet I found the exact opposite to be true. The better you were, the less you had to talk. Because when you played, it showed what you were going to do. You didn't actually have to say it. Right? That picture of, I'm only as good as people think of me, is the exact opposite of humility. Yet God has told us we're to be humble. We're to actually talk less about us. We're to talk more about him. And so God said through the prophet Micah 6, 8. This is a very well-known passage. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. There is a reliance on God. When we recognize God's mercy, how could we not be humble, right? This isn't something I have done for me, right? There's no way we can save ourselves from our sin. There's no way that we can earn salvation. We are fully, totally, completely reliant, dependent on him. How could we not then be humble when you understand that reality? And I always think, though, that, it, that maybe it's hard at times to be humble when you've experienced success. But humility is not about ability. It's about gratitude. Right? It's not about, look at what I've done. Look at how, what I've achieved. It's very much about recognizing the blessings that you have. John the Baptist was the New Testament prophet who came before Jesus. He was uh, the cousin of Jesus. And when he went before Jesus, telling people that the Christ was coming, people thought he's the Messiah. He was very quick to say, no, it's not me. That's not what I'm about. And so when Jesus came and when Jesus was teaching and people started gathering, some of John's disciples had left to follow Jesus. And then the others are like, oh, that's not okay. You're not supposed to do that. That's like jumping on a bandwagon. Your team's not winning. Let's go root for the team that is. And so they went to John and they're like, look, is this okay? Are we allowed to do this? And John's response is so profound. It really shows that example of humility. In John 3, verse 30, John says, He must increase, but I must decrease. It's not just I'm going to glorify God. It's all about him. It's like, you know what? It so is not about me. I can decrease if it means bringing him to the front. If it can be all about him, it doesn't have to be about me. 
When Jesus was asked by his disciples, which one of them would be second in command, right? Which one would be at his right hand? This isn't kind of this, we, I think we dismiss it. It's this, this flippant question. Come on, I want to be the team captain. I want to follow you. But it's not that bad. This is a, a logistics question. If you're not around, who should lead? Right? That's a really good question. Yet Jesus took the opportunity to turn it on them. And he answered it this way. Mark 9, 35. He said, and he sat down, he called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. You see, that's flipping it on them. If you think you're going to be first in this group, if you're going to be my second in command, you better get down and start scrubbing floors. You're going to have to serve other people because that's who's leading. The leader is the servant. The goal is to serve one another, whether it's through leadership or teaching or I was thinking about church here today, setting up or cleaning up or putting chairs away, teaching the kids, all of those things. That's what it means. If you're going to to step up in the kingdom of God, you're going to look for opportunities to serve your brothers and sisters, to serve in the church, ultimately to serve Christ. How do we do it? Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. Meaning when you're serving someone else, you serve them with the idea that you're serving God. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, right? Whatever you're doing, you're not just helping each other out. You didn't just set up chairs this morning so that someone can come and sit. You're doing that for God. There's a promise in humility. You don't need to glorify yourself, right? When you're humble and serving, it's not, hey, look at me being humble and serving. (laughs) It's just silly. But there is a promise. God's in charge of the outcome. Our job is to serve in humility. And then what happens is up to him. And Peter said it this way, uh, chapter 5, verse 6 and 7 of the first letter, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That, the, the anxiety part, that's helpful. I can identify with that because I worry about the outcome of things that I do. And he says, look, don't worry about the outcome. Don't worry about the consequences. If you're doing what is right, you cast your anxiety, you trust him, and you trust that he knows what he's doing. So what's the point of all of this? In humility, we are more like Jesus. That's the point. We can be humble because like Jesus, our purpose is to make disciples. Ultimately, regardless of the job you have, the classes you take, where you live, the car you drive, some of those plans that you have made for your life, 
If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your job is to make disciples first and foremost. Why? Because that was Jesus' job. Luke 19.10 For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You want to know why Jesus was here? There it is. It was to seek and save the lost. Then in humility, if we make that goal our goal, right? If that's what my life is about, then I am like Jesus. And the outcome of that isn't up to me. It's always up to God. I have two examples in scripture, right? These are biblical examples of the benefits of humility. The first one's in Numbers 12. This is with Moses. And I, anytime I think of the word humble, I think of Moses. We're going to read it in a minute because it actually says Moses was the most humble. Okay, then that's it. That's the standard, right? You have Jesus and then you have Moses. Okay, so can we be like Moses in humility? Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken to Mo- only to Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek. That's just another word for humble. More than all people who are on the earth. Okay, not only was he just meek, he was the most humble. There wasn't another human being on the planet as meek as Moses. Verse 4, And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. This is very scary. But they did it. Verse 6, And he said, Hear my word. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him. This is not about you, Aaron and Miriam. That's what God's telling them. It's up to me. He says, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth. That's an idiomatic phrase, meaning literally face to face. Nobody else got to do that with God. Clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them and he departed. There's Moses, the most meek human being walking on the earth. And God says, do you know how special he is? Face to face we talk and I'm straight up with Moses. I'm not telling him riddles, letting him figure it out. I'm saying, here's what you're going to do. Moses, who had every right to go, that's right, I speak for God. Instead, he was the most meek on the planet. And then the second one is in 2 Samuel 24, starting in verse 10. This is when David, who would become king, but right now he's fleeing for his life. 
And King Saul is chasing him down. He hiding in a cave. Saul goes into the cave to basically use the restroom. And David sneaks up on him, has every chance to end his life. He doesn't. And then he comes out of the cave and he stands. I almost picture him standing kind of on a hill going, hey, Saul, let me tell you what just happened. Verse 10, behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put my hand against the Lord. Uh, against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I've not sinned against you, though you hunt me to take my life. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. By my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? By the way, that's David saying me basically like a dead dog. Why bother with me? He says, after a dead dog, after a flea, may the Lord therefore judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it, uh, And plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. The outcome is up to God, right? The results of what God does is up to him. Our job is always to be faithful. It's not about what we do. It's not for our glory. It is all about saying, God, it's all for you. I have some... No, I... The last one, the outcome is said and done so we can be humble. I have some next steps for you today. Uh, First of all, uh, my next step today, uh, for the first time, trusted Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Look, if if you have not done that, it is as simple as taking the moment to say, God, I understand I've come up short and I haven't always done what you wanted me to do. Will you forgive me? I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins. I trust you. Our God is faithful. He's faithful to forgive. Second, I, my next step today is to reflect on the way I have not uh, reflected the humility of Jesus in my life, right? When I've come up short and I haven't been humble, and then how can I do better? And the third one, ask God for opportunities to demonstrate humility by serving others. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to talk about you. I pray that as we reflect on the many ways in which you have blessed us, that you have gifted us, Father, that none of those were for our glory, but all for yours. And I pray, Lord, that you would use our service, our love, our unity of mind, that we would be of the same mind as Jesus in humility, and that you would use those things to do exactly what Jesus desired to seek and to save the lost. If there's anyone here today that needs to trust you for the first time, or maybe make that recommitment, I need today to make it right, that your spirit would move. Father, we thank you. We pray 
that you would be glorified by what we do, by what we say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.